0: Good morning, everybody. How you guys doing? Very good, very good. Welcome, welcome to our visitors, guys. I, um, I'm so glad, especially if you're a visitor. I'm glad that you're here. It takes a lot to choose to spend some of your time. If you're, if it's the first time and you're church shopping, you're literally looking for a new place to call home, or you're just like, hey, we're in town, we want to stop by. It it means something to us that you chose to invest that time into checking out what God has for you here. And I think, I think God's got something cool for you, not only today, but, but through this series and really every day. Those who go into this, into this new year, I, wanna, I want those of you who are expecting us, maybe you weren't here last week and you're expecting a sermon series on 2020 vision, like about 1,000 churches in the country are teaching because it's, it's a softball, 2020, right? We're doing something a little bit different. Normally, uh, I teach expository, and we go through book by book of the Bible, and we kind of really tear it apart to see what the Word of God says. I want to teach more of a series for a few weeks about, about a theme, if you will, about what God says about relationships, what a godly relationship looks like. And everybody's mind immediately goes towards marriage. Right? You talk marriage, you talk relationships, you're going to be talking marriage. But there's so much more that we need to understand about what a godly relationship looks like. We were built for fellowship. We were built for community. That's why we're here. And when we get those things wrong, when we don't have a true understanding of how God views those relationships of all kinds. So uh, church relationships, yes, but family, friendships, business relationships, all those things, if we get our our idea skewed towards what the world would say those relationships ought to look like, then a lot of things can go south pretty fast. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to try and keep ourselves grounded in the Word. I'm going to follow along with the Word. But I wanted to share with you some, some things that God has been stirring in my heart. The reason we're doing this now is because I see all the time... Facebook posts, all kinds of different social media, all these things. Even good, godly, good hearted church people who I personally know, when you get them behind a keyboard, somehow things change. And somehow the things that come out onto their social media accounts don't mirror what I believe is in their heart. And I'm not sure how that happens. But I'm seeing that happen more and more again. And what happens is the enemy gets in there and he uses those things to divide us, to cause us to bicker back and forth, to cause us to have offense, to cause us to complain about things that don't matter, to elevate things that don't matter to such a high status that all of a sudden we're, we're leaving this family that God has called us to because we don't like the lights or the candles or the carpet or whatever it is. And, and I just see that happening all the time. Before I go too much farther really quick, I want to do two things. I want to pray to open. But I also want to just let you know about this, this Art of Marriage conference that we have coming up. It's the first time we've done this as a church. Discover Community has done this as a church. It's by a, an outfit called um, um, Family Life. It's, it's an amazing, amazing marriage conference. So We have information. The flyers, The flyers look like this. Okay, and we've got them on the board out there. It's coming uh, in early February. I want you to prayerfully consider if you're if you're a married couple to attend this conference. It's a it's a two day, it's an afternoon evening, and then the following morning uh, conference. And it is so well done. It is so full of biblical, scriptural information on how how a godly marriage looks that I really, really want to encourage you to do that. So the reason I do that now, even though it's not happening until February, is we have to register. We have to buy books and things. So please sign up. Grab a flyer on the way out. The sign-ups are all online. So take a look at that. If registration, if the cost of registration is a barrier to you, let me know. Okay? We need to cover costs, obviously, but just let me know. I think it's that important. So take a look on the way out and just pray about that. Uh, in, in speaking of prayer, let's go ahead and just pray to open. Father God, I just pray, Lord, that you would, through me, through where I am today, God, that you would just reveal the words that you have spoken to me, the words that give life to relationships, the the words that speak your heart on how, how you view your people and how you want us more than anything to view one another. So, Father, let us set aside all the notions that we have of what that looks like and be open to what you have for us. Father, we love you and we praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So hey, I speaking of Facebook, I'm on a couple of different Facebook groups like a lot of us probably are, and one of them is specifically for pastors, and we, we get to talk about some of the issues that we have and things. And one of the comments that I saw just this last week was a fellow pastor who said, if I didn't go to my if I didn't pastor my church, if I wasn't employed there, I wouldn't go there, and that enough was shocking enough, right? And then you look at the comments, and there's like 33 comments. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to see some of the comments. So many pastors feel the same way. That's not me, by the way. Just so that is absolutely not me. But but here's the thing: I think I think that happens because not only is the pastor's idea of what a church ought to be, get skewed a little bit. But I think the peoples, the congregation, their idea gets skewed a little bit. Because it's not, the reason he said that wasn't because they didn't have as big a building as they thought they should have. It's not because they didn't have an amazing coffee bar. It's not because they had old, worn-out carpeting. It's not because the parking was difficult. It wasn't any of those reasons. You know what it was? For all of them, All of them, not one of them complained about any material things in their church. Every single one was the cold, disinterested hearts that they encountered when they walked into their church. Every single one of them formed that thought in a different way or another. But it was all like that. In other words, it wasn't the community that they had hoped for. It wasn't the community that they thought a church should look like. And you'd be tempted to say, well, isn't that the pastor's job to make that happen, to encourage that? You might be tempted to say that, but you'd be wrong. So on one hand, it is the pastor's responsibility to facilitate an atmosphere, it's, it's, it's my responsibility to facilitate an atmosphere, to allow some things here, to not allow some things here. And it's my job to see those and either encourage or discourage that type of behavior, absolutely. Absolutely. But almost 500 years ago, a guy named John Haywood said this, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. We can make all the ways. We can set an atmosphere, but we can't make anybody respond the way that you would hope that they would. So, think about that. A lot of us pray for revival of the church. You hear the word revival, in fact, thrown around an awful lot. What does revival really mean? What's revival? Revival is just... It's a renewal of excitement, of fervor, of, 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 of jealous enthusiasm for the things of the Lord, right? That's really what, in a nutshell, what revival is. It's an awakening, or in some cases maybe a restoration of that excitement that we had at one point. But there are so many things that take that original that original strength and excitement and enthusiasm and maybe innocence and just willingness to to be a part of something, there's so many things that just come in and crush that, little by little. Sometimes it's all at once, big crushing blow, and sometimes it's just little things that pick away at you over time. And we lose that enthusiasm. We lose that, that hunger for revival. And so when we start talking about that, We start thinking about those things, again, those things that come against you that would discourage you from being just excited to be here and excited to be among your friends and your family. In other words, why has it at some point become acceptable to think of or treat your church like you would a restaurant? I didn't get what I wanted as fast as I wanted it in the way that I wanted it. And it wasn't as good as it was last time or that one time. We expect somehow that it's going to meet our needs the way we want them to be met. And that's not what church ought to be. Let me show you a couple of things. You all have heard of Yelp, right? Yelp. I don't put a lot of stock in Yelp reviews for a million reasons. So for those of you who are getting on your phone to text me about, you know, Yelp is... No. Let's look at uh, some of these actual Yelp reviews from churches. All right. This is out of San Diego. Boy, what a huge, loud, flashing lights production. This place is nuts. Lady friend took me, and she said, you got to see this. Okay, my ears are still ringing, way too loud. Blinding spotlights, scanning all over the place, total hard rock band. Whee, I don't know where that came from. Okay, if that's not your flavor, I get it. Full of very young people. Collection taken up with buckets. Okay, Reviews are awful, nonstop, one star, but true. Jesus said, many will use my name, but not few will know me. Sad, 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 go find a real church. Is this not a real church because the gospel of Jesus Christ was not being spoken there? Doesn't say that. Full of very young people sounds to me like, Maybe a vibrant young community, right? Okay, next one. Drove through this area to get to another location on Liberty Station. Not being from, from here, I think, I did not understand that it would be out of control when I turned onto Womble Road. The traffic control people were waving people through the stop signs for no reason. So fun to get yelled at as I stopped, required by law. Then yelled at again after proceeding through the stop sign. All the church attendees walking everywhere. People everywhere. This place is a nightmare. What a pleasant way to live the church and make your visitors or your congregation safe. Oh, my gosh. They had traffic control out front to try and make things easier. People everywhere. Not a word about the gospel of Jesus. Jesus. Not a word about community, nothing like that. Here's another one. What a nice group of folks. My sister and I attended 10 o'clock Sunday morning service and received a warm welcome. If I lived here, this would be my go-to. The lead pastor spoke with clarity, conviction, and straightforward words through the Holy Spirit. Expect to see down-to-earth people here. Try out the coffee shop and mix with other children of God. Very family-friendly, non-judgmental zone. I will be back next time in town. Guess what church that is? That's us. That's us. It's our one and only Yelp review, by the way. So we can say 100% five stars on Yelp. And that's fantastic. That's fantastic. But before we start patting ourselves on the back, let's talk about what a church is and what the relationships in it should look like. It's so easy to become complacent saying we're doing it right, right? But then we little by little, we start straying, which is why it's so important that we stay on track. So as we go through this, here's a thing I just want to point. We're going to do possibly some testimonies today i'm not going to structure a time for testimonies here's the thing if you're here and you say i know a way because we're about godly relationships within the church if you have a testimony something on your heart that god has done something he has worked through another member of this body or something that's just one of those god things just raise your hand during the service okay raise your hand at any time we'll hand a mic gabe's got the mic It's hidden in her bag, which is why I'm giving her a heads up. Um, Raise your hand, and I will stop the service because there's nothing more encouraging than what God is doing within a body, okay? Ann, did you have one already?
1: We're coming up on retirement for John, and um, one of the things we thought about since we are cruise fans is living on a ship. And there are a few people around the world who do that. And um, then you start thinking about what you'd miss. And this place, along with our daughter, would be the one. So we're not going to do it.
0: That's awesome. That's what a church should be. It should be a family that you miss if you're not here. It should be, if this church were to go away, it would leave a vacuum in your heart. That's what it should be. So, let's t- again, let's talk about church and church relationships, but first let me ask a question. It's a trivia question. How many times does the word church appear in the Bible? 37. Couple, 37, what version? Okay. Okay. All of which are valid, but... I mean, if you say 37, you're correct, but that's not the total number. It's about 112. About 112 is that version up here, okay? And that's the King James version I'm using, so if you're going to count, it's King James version. But let's talk, about, let's talk about that. That word church is actually, it's a mistranslation and a misunderstanding from a lot of different areas, and I'm going to talk about that. Back in... A little history lesson for today. Back in 313 A.D., okay, Emperor Constantine legalized Christianity, right? Legalized Christianity. That was both a really good thing. It was also a really bad thing. Here's what it did. It took Christianity from being a tight-knit, excited group of rebels focused on, we're doing this thing against all odds, us together, we're doing this thing. And it took them from that place, this underground movement, and a church suddenly became a building. Church suddenly became a building where those people came together. But there was no more desperation. There was no more thought of, let's all do this together. Now, all of a sudden, we can go anywhere, we can do it openly, and it can happen any place. And that feeling of community and that tightness and that kind of rebel spirit sort of started to go away. In fact, the word church comes from a German word when the Bible was translated into German many, many years later through the printing press. They translated it as kirch, and kirch literally means a building. So that's how they translated that, and, and we use that word. Now, the Hebrews have a different word for it, so if you go back into the Old Testament, that word is kahal. I can't say that with my throat. Kahal. And kahal means just an assembly or a gathering, okay, a gathering or assembly of like-minded people. Again, it doesn't really even refer to the Lord because for that reason, the Lord's presence at that time was in the temple. It wasn't among his people. So wherever they got together, they were just gathering. They'd go somewhere else to visit the Lord's presence, Right? So it's a different understanding of that word. Now there is there is a word that encompasses what we are supposed to be, and that word is a Greek word, and it's more accurately what churches is translated at, which is ecclesia. Okay, many of you nodding heads, you understand ecclesia. Let's talk about that because it better defines who we are supposed to be as a body. And then from an understanding of that, what our relationships should look like. So this is what the word ecclesia is. That's in the Greek. <clears throat> and that's not where we are yet. <laughs> Actually, no. You can leave that back up there. Jeremy was right. I was wrong. Matthew 16, 8. 16, 18. It says, I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Who's saying this? This is Jesus saying this to Peter, right? That word church is ecclesia. Okay, that's how it accurately translates. And it's the first time that the word church or ecclesia is mentioned in the New Testament. And it's the only time that Jesus says that. Okay, now this is, you you go, what about in Revelation where he addresses letters to churches? Slightly different. I'll explain that here in just a minute. The Greek word ecclesia means the whole body of Christian believers. Okay, so we are all tied through this concept of ecclesia to every other church, whether you believe in them or not, whether you like how they do their worship or not. All other believers in Christ, we are tied to them in this thing called ecclesia. Okay, sometimes you see it as capital C church, right? Sometimes you see it like that. But let's go a little bit deeper into that word "ecclesia. Who's down for a little etymology? Some of you are going like, "Ooh, bugs!" <laughs> that's entomology. OK That's bugs. Etymology is the study of words. So let's go a little deeper into that word and let's tear it apart. Again, it's Greek, ecclesia. The part the first part, "ek," okay means this. It means "to call." It means "to call and then kaleo which is the second part the root of that that middle part of that word ecclesia means out from and to now this is my this is my foggy mind ek means out from and to kaleo means to call so what it means is to call out from something into something else to call out from and into that's what the word ecclesia accurately translates into. What it means is people are called out from the world and into a body of Christ. Okay, that's what, an, that's what an ecclesia is. And that is the universal total body of believers. That's what we see. We see that, again, whenever you see capital C church, or you've heard people, I don't like churchy sayings, but it's like, you know, the capital C church. They're talking about the church everywhere. The universal body of believers. Small C church, that's us. We're the small C church. You'll also, by the way, see it uh, mentioned as the Catholic church, but with small C Catholic. Anybody ever seen that and be confused? The Nicene Creed, which is in our belief statement, says one holy Catholic and apostolic church. It's a small C, meaning the universal body of believers, right? Got that? So that's where we are. Why is this important? Because you were called out from the world into something special, and God brought you here. Okay. If you're just a traveler and it's like, well, actually, Google brought me here. That's fine. But it's not here by random chance, unless you believe in that kind of thing. That oh, I'll just show up where the wind blows. I believe that God has a purpose and a plan for everything that he does. He even uses Google for those plans and purposes sometimes. If you believe that it's not by chance, God brought you here because you are needed here. This body needs you. You need it because that's how the body of Christ works. I'm not going to go into a whole bunch of body of Christ scriptures because we've talked about that many, many times, but we know that a body that functions without one of its components is handicapped in the way it operates, okay? It can still function. It can still do things, but it's not right. It needs every component and every component to be engaged to be what it's called to be you're needed here, you're called to be fruitful here, and here's the surprise, it won't be perfect. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be everything you'd ever hoped it would be. It can't be. And if we let our minds go to that expectations, that's when we start having problems. Go back to the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29.7. Jeremiah is talking to this group of Israelites, or he's telling the story about them, they're being taken from Jerusalem. They're being taken, and they're being taken to Babylon, okay? Jerusalem would have been their first choice, right? They're being taken to Babylon, exile in Babylon. But while they're there, they are told, they are exhorted, they are encouraged, build houses, have children, marry, put down roots, Make a life here. Is this your ultimate destination? No, probably not. Hopefully not. But while you're there, be fruitful and get on with your life. That's what he's saying. 29.7 says this. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Remember, he's talking about Babylon and evil, the epitome of evil cities, Right? Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will have welfare. God promises, actually actually says, I'm going to come back and get you when the time is right and I'll move you somewhere else. That time ends up being 70 years. But that's, verse, that's Jeremiah 29.7. Very commonly, just a few verses later, is this one. Jeremiah 29.11 It says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you future and a hope. So when we read that scripture, which I've talked about many times, a lot of us can just quote it off the top of our heads. It means a lot. It's very meaningful. But remember who that's being written to. That's being written to people who have been taken against their will and planted someplace they don't want to be. And they're being told, put down roots, live your life, Pray for that place. Pray for them. Engage there. Pray for them. Because when the time is right, I'll take you. I know the plans I have for you. And it's not for evil. That's significant. When we go in and we see something that's not the way we'd really like it to be, okay, do we need it to be perfect before we're supposed to engage with, to pray for? No. That's not what Scripture teaches us. Okay, so we've established that, that we are a part of this ecclesia, this bigger body of Christ. We're special people called to do his work. And we're also told that the church is not a place. It's a people, right? It's a people, and it's a family of people. It's a family dynamic. Don't make no mistakes there. Let's talk about what a healthy one looks like. What's a healthy ecclesia, a healthy family church dynamic look like? The author of Hebrews, remember, we don't know for sure who wrote Hebrews. It's either uh, Barnabas or uh, maybe Apollos. We can argue back and forth who that is. But he exhorts those people who are wavering. He writes to the Hebrews. And these are people who have come to know Christ. They're following Jesus, okay? But they're going, man, life was so much easier when we were Jews, and we didn't profess this Jesus guy because now we can't shop in all the stores. We have to keep it low. We're being persecuted. In fact, they were being persecuted pretty severely at that point. And they're saying, maybe it'd be better if we just went back to the old ways because it was a whole lot easier. They're being exhorted here. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider, here's what I want us to focus on, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Gather together for the purpose of hearing strict doctrine, right? That's not what it says. Gather together for the purpose of enjoying great coffee and donuts. What's it say? It says gather together so that you can encourage and exhort one another. That's what it says. Even more so as the day is drawing near, it says. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is essentially gather together to love one another. I love that. That word love, by the way, in that scripture is agape. That's that sacrificial love, specifically sacrificial love, willing to set aside everything you want and elevate the needs of those around you. Yes, the people sitting next to you that you kind of sort of know but don't know well, Bible says put their needs ahead of yours. That's not me. The word good deeds there, I want to... I where it says good deeds, uh, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That word good deeds is a Greek word. Again, it translates as kaleos. And here's what that means. Good that inspires or motivates others to embrace what is lovely, beautiful, or praiseworthy. That's literally the definition of a good deed. Something you do to inspire others to do it. I love that definition. And that's straight out of the Greek translation. So the audience here, again, this, Jew, this Jewish convert audience who is just finding things super, super difficult, are being taught that being a disciple of Jesus Christ demands this. Demands that we gather together to worship him. Demands that we sacrificially love one another and that we inspire each other to do what is lovely, beautiful, and praiseworthy. So here's another question. It's a rhetorical one. Don't raise your hands. How many of our interactions with each other, not only sitting in this room, through Facebook, through all of our social media, through our conversations in the parking lot, how many of those encourage one another to think about and to do what is lovely? Or how many of those are focusing on the negative aspects of life? Now we can tell ourselves, we can tell ourselves we're doing that, but we need to be careful. I'm gonna talk about that more in a minute. But as a body, we're supposed to reflect the glory of God. Are we doing that? Because we need to do it to each other first before we can do it for the world. Got a testimony?
2: Um, for you, those of you who don't know me, my name is Nadine McConathan. Um, we attend, started attending here, uh, at the end of September and, um, it was just a month and a half later that, uh, my husband found out that he was going to have to have surgery and, um, I cannot say how blessed we are to be a part of this church Um, only being here a month and a half. uh, The day of his first surgery, I was not able to be there, and Emily was there. Pastor Bob and Pastor Gabe came up to check on Emily while she was there. And John was still asleep from his anesthesia, but they brought chicken soup for him for when he woke up. And then we found out that he was going to have to have major, major surgery on on his posterior neck the next day. And people were praying. We knew people were praying. Pastor Craig came to visit and sit with him, even though he was under anesthesia still because he had to be on a ventilator for 24 hours. Pastor Craig came and just sat with him for us so we could go home and have a shower. Pastor Eric and Molly came to visit. And, you know, just after a month and a half of being here, I mean, we knew that first Sunday that it, this was a this was like a family and for people to pull us in so quickly and just be there for us was just unbelievable to us in that short amount of time Amen. and i'm just thankful that we are here and i'm thankful for all the people who have prayed and you know just got us through this time
0: Amen. Amen. Yeah. Thanks, David. You know, Isaiah twenty seven hundred some odd years ago, the prophet Isaiah said this about what God's people should look like. This is Isaiah sixty verses one through three says, "Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples." But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear on you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Does that sound like us? You hear cases like that, and it sure does. But there are times when the enemy gets in there and wants to divide, and that can come out at the most inopportune, sometimes the most hurtful times. And this is what I want to caution us about. We can do everything right. We can do 99% of everything right. And then the hurtful word or thought or post at the wrong time can damage someone's heart in the way that you can't imagine. So is the glory of the Lord reflected in your words, in your facial expression, in your actions, your Facebook posts? Trust me, when you publicly post something that you're thinking is going to point out the error of the world, or you're going to, I just want to correct my fellow brothers and sisters, you're not encouraging anyone, okay? You're starting division. You're starting argument. Don't go there. If you have a personal face-to-face relationship with somebody and you want to sit down and say, hey... Brother, that thing that you're saying about this, I don't know that that's, let's talk about that. From either side, that's what we do. We don't post that on Facebook and social media. Facebook and social media, think of it as a billboard. Think of it as a billboard outside of your house, okay? Because that's what it is. It's for public consumption. Are you gonna put on a billboard out in front of your house? You know, I really don't like how fill in the blank is handling fill in the blank. Are you going to do that? We'll put it on Facebook. Is the glory of the Lord reflected in both your internal and external Yelp reviews of our parking, our crowds, our lack of crowds, our worship, the volume of it, the carpeting, the chairs, our communion wine? How do you feel about those things, and what is the expression of those things? Luke 6.45 says, the good, man, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Is what's in your heart reflecting what Christ has put in you? That's what we have to ask ourselves all the time. And most importantly, then, is the glory of Lord, of the Lord reflected in your ability to put others ahead of you? Because that's a hard one. It can be so hard to practice because of those family dynamics. And again, make no mistake, we are a family. Families can be dysfunctional sometimes. So can a church. Families sometimes make mistakes. So can a church. Families always seem to have that one person who's always late. That person who speaks too loud. That person who's socially awkward. That person who monopolizes conversation all the time. The one who maybe drinks a little more than they should. The one who smells a little funny and you don't want to sit next to them at Thanksgiving. It has introverts. It has extroverts. It has people who are know it alls, both well meaning and not. Families have those things, so do churches. Families also have people that know you better than anyone and love you anyway, so do churches. You love your blood family because you have a shared past and and hopefully an assurance of a shared future, whether that's here or in heaven. There's no walking away from a family. How many of us said, oh, man, Thanksgiving meal, Christmas meal, these are all coming up, but but that one, my cousin's going to be there, and so I'm not going. I'm going to find another family better than mine because someone's awkward, smelly, loud, or fill in the blank. Nobody ever says that about their family, but we'll do that in a minute for a church family. Churches are full of messy people with messy lives, and we make mistakes, but it's our connection as fellow servants in Christ that should bond us together. Setting aside all those things, all those divisions, all that strife, and focusing on what lies ahead. Back to those days where Christianity was, was not legal, and we would gather together, and we would have this excitement and this fervor to let's, number one, let's stick together, and then let's go do this thing that Jesus is calling us to do. If we would recover that heart, I think we'd be in the right place. Let's look at that verse from Hebrews once again. Again, Hebrews 10, 23 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised it is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, let's take a second, put up on the screen the the mission statement of Discover Community Church, the one that I feel that God gave me. Discover Community Church is a place where the body of Christ will be encouraged and equipped to use our spiritual gifts in order to actively care for our neighboring community and to be doers of the word, not merely hearers. Now, here's the bottom part. Encouraged by witnessing the fruit of local outreach firsthand, equipped by ongoing study of the word to hear his direction. We come here to be equipped. Hopefully, you're being equipped in Scripture. But then we need to go out and do it. And you can't do it sitting at home. You can't display the fruits of the Spirit. You can't display the spiritual gifts or put them into practice sitting at home. We have to go out into the world, out into this community. Spiritual gifts are meant to encourage and uplift and serve. You can't do that at home. So remember, everything hinges on love. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Without this understanding of agape, this sacrificial love, none of this is going to make sense. We need to get it right, and that kind of love is only possible through the Holy Spirit. It's only possible through the Holy Spirit. We see the fruits of the Spirit, right? Peace, love, patience, kindness, joy. We can't do those on our own. And then you have gifts of the Spirit, which are given to go serve. And so I want to ask you a question. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Do you know what they are? If you know what they are, are you putting them to use serving this body, each other? If not, let's find out what they are. Let's find out what they are. In fact, we have a class coming up. I just want to tell you, this is way out in the distance, but it's March 4th. We're going to be doing a special class. It's a Wednesday night, I think, specifically on spiritual gifts. I'm going to teach about spiritual gifts. We're going to do an assessment so you can learn what your spiritual gifts are. We're going to talk about how to put those into action in the body. It's not about, Pastor Bob needs somebody to mop the foyer. It is not that. Scripture tells us to serve one another. The last scripture I'm going to share with you, I'm just going to read it to you. This is Peter. Peter's writing to these scattered disciples who have gone all over the world. They've been scattered after Pentecost. Persecution is literally chasing them down. And Peter writes this to them. 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in the serving of one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to end on that. Again, that's 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. If You need an example of what a loving church body should look like. That's it. So we have prayer team in the back. Some people are struggling with the idea of this because they've been hurt. Maybe they've had a relationship, an interaction at a church. Somehow or another they've been hurt. And they're like, I don't know if I want to go through that again. That's a lie of the enemy that would keep you isolated from a body who can surround and love you and support you. And be like a family. So there in the back, if you'd like to pray with them, you can do that. We uh, have communion here. We're going to take communion now. If you're new, we do it a couple ways. At the crosses, both sides, we have juice and bread and crackers. And you can just dip the cracker or the bread, the crackers are gluten-free, in the juice. Take it that way. Or up front here, we will be serving. And we have wine up front if you'd like to be served. Let's do that. And as we move around, look at the faces of those whose scripture calls saints around you. These are God's people, God's children called to this place just as you are called to this place. Do our interactions with those people glorify God? Do they reflect his purposes and what he has put in us? Or do they reflect our own places of maybe hurt or discouragement? And let's pray about those things as we move into communion. Amen. Thank you, church.
1: For the Lamb of God And sing all the saints and all the saints and angels They bow before your throne and all the elders cast Their crowns before the Lamb God and see you are worthy of it all. Jesus, all my love, all my utterance, so day and night. from